Okay, I just want to take a couple of minutes just to introduce Simon to you. Simon is a, a real friend, and uh, we don't believe in relationships that are hierarchical. Uh, we believe in true relationships that are based on friendship and love and mutual respect. And I certainly say that that is the case for Simon. Um, I... I, I uh, I remember the moment when it happened. No, I just <laughs> so I was so privileged a few years ago to go on their family holiday with them and sit on the back seat. It wasn't really a holiday, but it certainly felt like that. We were in the south of France uh, doing a series of meetings down there, and I felt welcomed into Simon's whole family, and there was just such affection between us. That seemed like the turning point for us in terms of depth of friendship and relationship. But I owe this guy so much. He's taught me so much over so many years. He's written an amazing book, which I know lots of people here have read, uh, that's helped us so much in founding the church, growing the church. And uh, he's just packed full of wisdom. Uh, as an eldership team, we spent the evening with him last night. And we've got notes now that we've got to work through because he's given us stuff to really think about, really to help us to grow the next phase of the church. And Simon is an apostle, uh, and he leads Catalyst Network of Churches. We're just so privileged to have him amongst us. So Simon, will you just come and speak to us? Can we please welcome him? Let's stand and welcome Simon as he comes to speak to us. Great. It's great to be here with you guys. I love, love coming back here and uh, know so many of you and connected with so many of you over the years, so it's really good to be with you. And it, actually, the, that, impact, that holiday had an impact with our family because the next year, said the kids said, is Rob coming with us? Said, no, he's not coming with us. <laughs> he's not coming on every family holiday from now on. I don't think his family would enjoy that. But that wasn't because it was bad. It was good. It was good. <laughs> It was just funny. It just uh, so it's just so exciting to be with you uh, all, and um, uh, just to I love being part of a bigger family. You know, it's so easy, isn't it? Now churches to kind of get on with our stuff and forget that God's placed us in the biggest uh, family of all, uh, and that, that as churches, when we're connected together, that's what makes the difference. In fact, that's how we can impact the world together. And we just uh, just a thrill to be part of this family of churches with you guys. And uh, just a few stories, just to, to whet your appetite with what God's doing, because he is doing so much all over the world through our family of churches. We had recently Booker, who's in uh, Malawi, come to our a UK Leaders Conference, and I invited him just, hey, because I, I like the UK thing to have a representation from over the world, over, overseas. And so Booker comes from Malawi. And uh, last time, some of you at the festival saw Booker uh, talk about his church planting in Malawi. Do you anyone remember he was the one who said he collapsed under a tree? So I think at that point he had six, 70 churches uh, in Malawi. So I got him on stage and I hadn't had any time to prep because he went to the bathroom right before. And so we didn't have any time to prep. So it's literally, it's happening live. So I said, Booker, tell us how you're doing in Malawi. Now he said, well, we've just planted our 91st church. So he's now added 20 odd churches in the last couple of years. So we're talking about that. And then he says, but you haven't even asked me about Mozambique. I'm like, well, I don't know anything about Mozambique. Tell me about Mozambique. He said, well, we've now got more churches in Mozambique than Malawi. We've got over 230 churches in Mozambique. I'm like, Booker, when do you do this? It's like before breakfast, you know, he's 
planting church is just brilliant to to see what God is doing all over the world through uh, people that we're connected with. Um, I went recently to our encounter camp, which uh, a guy called Jim Harper runs uh, and a team there. It was just fantastic. It's basically uh, like we have a homeless project and there are many over the country and people send delegates to this camp. So many people have never been on holiday before. Uh, They've never kind of been on anything like this in any kind of Christian environment like it. And it is just phenomenal. The worship is just amazing. The fact that people will connect and engage with the teaching um it's just amazing lives just get transformed at this camp it's one of the, the my favorite things to do in the years to go and speak there and um just a beautiful story this year there was a I, I had a word about scoliosis and this lady kind of tentatively responded she basically her friend i don't know if you've ever prayed with someone whose kind of friend has dragged them for prayer that kind of moment so it was that kind of moment she came kind of willingly but kind of reluctantly and uh, we're talking about her scoliosis she said yeah i've got to have a major operation I'm in pain all the time. I said, how bad is your pain? She said, like 7 out of 10. I'm kind of in agony most of the time because of it. So I said, well, what, would you know what the cause of it? And she said, well, I've got one leg which is shorter than the other. So um, uh, we sat down on the chair. And this isn't scientific, but it gives you a, a rough idea. And we looked at how, and you could tell her leg was a good inch, three quarters of an inch shorter, one of them, than the other. And uh, she had a, a spine that was curved. And so we began to pray. And it was a funny thing because as we prayed, I couldn't th- sense that anything was happening at all. In fact, I, I said, how, how are you doing? And, and, and uh, I'm thinking, well, it doesn't look like it's moving to me. This leg looks the same as it was. And she said, someone is pulling my leg. I'm like, I am not pulling your leg. I'm not touching it. You know, I was holding your feet. And she says, I know, keep praying. And suddenly she was reluctant. Her reluctance turned into keep going, keep going. So anyway, we kept praying. And it was the strangest thing because I never saw the leg move. But by the end of it, they were the same length. Wow. It was so weird. And... Uh, she uh, stands up. She's completely pain-free. She went to the... There was a GP on site. She saw him earlier, uh, later in the evening, and he said, you've got a small curve now in your spine, but pretty much your spine is now straight. And it's just amazing that God, he loves to do these kind of things. And I know you've been seeing loads of um, uh, miracles and healings here as well, which is just fantastic. And then just like one other story from Manchester. I was there recently at one of the churches, and I met a lady called Victoria, who's... 20 odd years ago she moved to one of the roughest parts of Manchester as a student because it was cheap all her friends were going somewhere else she thought I don't want to pay that I'm going to go to this area because it's cheap when she got there she realized why it was cheap and she you know she had a brick through a bathroom window it was just horrible living there she's like I'm moving out and then she got saved and then God began to call her to this area and 20 years ago God began to speak to her about the people of this area and uh, how um, one of the things he said to her is that I'm going to give you a building for a pound. And so she began telling people, God's going to give me a building for a pound to help the people of this community. Well, two years ago, the local council gave her this massive building for one pound. <laughs> one pound. And then a friend of her said, well, why don't you ask for the land next door as well? And she's like, all right, I will. So she went back to him and said, can I have the land as well for another pound? And they're like, you can have it for the same pound. So <laughs> she's now they've built this whole, so they've got this whole housing development that's now paying for this community center for the community. It's just amazing what God is, what God is doing. And so um, just, just a few illustrations, and thank you for your partnership and the part that you play uh, in seeing the kingdom of God released uh, around this nation. And I'm really in faith that God is not content to see the ch- the doors close on his church but he is seeing the church grow again <laughs> that people who've seen their lives transformed by christ are going to see a turnaround in this nation yes. 
Anyone else believe him yeah. for that? Yes, good, good. That's what we're asking him for, and we're faithfully doing, playing our little part. And uh, as I was praying for you guys uh, last night, I, I felt a couple of things. One is I had a real sense that I know numbers of you have had, um, let's say, less than positive experiences in church. <laughs> let's put it that way, less than positive experiences in church. And perhaps for some of you, coming back here is a place of kind of restoration. You found a church that actually feels like it's acting the way that it ought to act, and I just really feel like God would take some of those stories and use you to bring healing to many others. You know, someone once said to me years ago, if the, if the broken and hurt Christians who are now out of the church came back to the church, the church would triple in size overnight. I think that's an underestimate, actually. I think the church would do more than triple in size. And so I just feel there's something for the Lord for you to take some of your stories of healing and restoration. Actually, it's the preparation for many others who are going to come back. We had a Sunday recently where on the same day, four people who were prodigals, like that story, who had gone away from God, walked away from the church, all came back independently on the same Sunday. It was the weirdest thing as we were all comparing notes at the end. And we realized that God is doing something. You know, that's, I, I, I take notice when, when I don't believe there are coincidences in God. When things like that happen, I take notice. And I really felt the Lord speaking about he is bringing the prodigals back home. And so let's be praying for that. And some of you, even this morning, you may be, that, this may be your first time back. This may be your uh, stepping back in. And I would encourage you, God has drawn you here. And so dig, dig in, get some healing. And, and the second thing, I, the second picture I had was of one of those old English wells, you know, with a little stone kind of wall around with a little kind of roof on it and the bucket that goes down. And I felt like God is, is calling you to, to continue to put that bucket into the well of healing and to bring it back up. Not just physical healing, but emotional healing and spiritual healing. But then as I saw it, I saw that the picture zoom out and numerous other wells dotted around. And I felt like there's something of God's going to multiply what he's doing here. That you're to be a center of restoration healing. But actually you're to also think about how do we multiply this to other locations. And then the picture went underground. And what I saw was this huge reservoir of water. And actually, all that you're seeing right now is a tiny window into what God has got for you in the future. That there is this huge reservoir underneath that you're to continually be putting that bucket down and up again as fast as possible and creating and digging other wells. And so I I, I wanted to, to speak this morning into that theme, not on physical healing, which is what I spoke on last time, but to speak a little bit more on the emotional side. Because you know what? I went to church for all of my life growing up until I became an atheist, but that's a whole other story. I'm not now, by the way, just because you... So, but I went to, four times on a Sunday now. So, so any, of, any of you young people are thinking once is too much. I went four times every Sunday. And, uh, and I never once heard a sermon on emotions. And yet, you know what? Most of the damage that gets done to us is done through emotions either through our inability to handle emotions or other people's inability to handle emotions. And so I want to talk about living from an emotionally whole heart. What does it look like to live from an emotionally whole heart? Because I believe this is an absolutely critical area for you guys, not just to understand, but to grow in strength and master, because not only for your own lives, but for many others that you're going to help. There is an emotional brokenness around us. And as believers, as followers of Jesus... We've got to understand how to live from an emotionally whole place. Because as you'll see, let's just read a story. Mark chapter 3. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. And some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if they'd heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. And Jesus asked them, which is lawful 
on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill. But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and was completely restored. And what you see in that story, if you look through the lens of emotions, is a number of different things. You see a cold, hard people who were using this situation to trap Jesus. But think about the lack of compassion to use the brokenness of this man as a trap for Jesus. You see Jesus expressing incredible breadth of emotion all in the same story. And you know what? There is probably no area of our lives that's more misunderstood in the church very often emotions are seen as a, as a negative thing. You, you know, uh, my story would be this. I, I went to uh, uh, to get some prayer for an area of my life, and it was in America. My wife is American. And I was there, and uh, I, I, set up, I set up. They said, well, why, do you want to, why would you like to, us to pray for you? And I said, look, if there is any more joy, it, Jesus has done enough for me. So if there's no more to be had, that's fine. But if there's any more joy to be had this side of heaven, I'd like to have it. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. And if there isn't, you know, and if we've got to wait, then that's fine because I'm not complaining. But if there is any more to be had, I'd like to have it. And they were like, OK, well, let's talk. So we talked about my upbringing. We talked about my life. And at the end of it, uh, Diane, who was praying, leading the kind of session. And by the way, she's in her 70s at this point. Um, she says, well, Simon, how do you feel about how you were raised? And I was like, I don't really feel anything. It's just what happened. And she said, what? Well, you need to know, I, I feel really angry about what happened to you. I feel really angry that you had to go through that. I was like, okay. She turned to uh, uh, the other lady who was with her, and she said, well, how do you feel? And this other lady is a real kind of southern Texas uh, kind of, but she's also in her 70s, and she, she turned to her, Martha, and she said, Martha, how do you feel? And she said, I feel so angry I could spit. <laughs> I was like, okay. And Martha said... <laughs> Simon, do you, do you not feel angry about it? I said, not, not really. And she said, Martha said, how would you feel if I came over and punched you in the face? I was like, I would think it was a bit strange. You know, I've never had kind of any kind of prayer time where you, you know, end up punching you. I'm not sure it's even legal, is it? But, you know, I probably wouldn't feel much. She said, and as quick as a flash, Diane said, Simon, your problem is not with joy, it's with anger. You have got this sterilized view of anger such that this. She said, anger and joy swing on a pendulum and you have stopped your pendulum because you don't know how to be angry. You don't know even how to express anger. Your pendulum has stopped. You don't need to focus on joy. You need to focus on a healthy expression of anger and you will find the joy will come. I was like, okay. (laughs) Never thought of it like that. Well, the next few years, that's exactly what happened. I mean, Caroline didn't know what to do with herself. She'd married this kind of impassive, neutral person. Because, you see, I had this view of Jesus that I had this view of Jesus that was Jesus went through life like kind of floating on a a cloud. Like maturity was to be emotionally unmoved. That's the view I had. That's the view I'd picked up. That mature people are emotionally kind of neutral. They're not moved. They don't move one way or the other. They just kind of float through life. I had this view in my mind. I don't know where I got it from because if you read the Bible, it's exactly not what Jesus is like. And yet that's what I got. So I was trying to attain a maturity of emotional neutrality. And you know what? I think so many people have got the same view. 
the same understanding that maturity, anyone with, a, with extremes of emotion or anyone who shows emotion is somehow, you know, kind of not so mature as those of us who are more enlightened and want to live. You know, that's actually the Stoic view of life. It comes from the Greek thought of Stoicism, and it's completely not a biblical view, as we will see. Now, the, the reality is this. This is so, so key for our, our lives because emotions are like children. You don't want them driving the car, but you also don't want them in the boot. You know? <laughs> you, neither, neither are healthy. Neither are healthy. You know, a parent who lets their kids drive the car, that's not, that's not a good idea, but a parent who's shut their kids in the boot, it's not so healthy, is it? Some of your parents are like, yeah, actually it's not so... No, no, don't know. <laughs> And what, we, what we've seen is the damage that's been done in the church and in society as a whole of a faulty view of emotions. I, I remember uh, chatting to one guy, and he was uh, just in such a, 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 a terrible season in his life. He had such a trauma when he was around six that overnight his hair went grey and his eyes went grey. I mean, he just had this trauma, which is a kind of do- documented thing can happen to people. He had this kind of, just such an incredible trauma um, in his life. And from that point on, his emotions were just completely shut down. He had no emotions. He didn't feel angry, he didn't feel joy, he felt nothing. He just said, I feel like I'm the walking dead on the inside. And yet the Lord just broke into his life and began to heal that broken heart. That's what Jesus said, isn't it? I come to bind up the brokenhearted. And no more so than in our emotional life. You know, for me, people ask me, what's your, your apostolic strategy? I, I, to be honest, I don't have much of one. But as much as it is, it's this. Hurt people, hurt people. Free people, free people. My, my vision is if we can get as many people free as possible, they will just go around and free other people. Hurt people, hurt people. And so much of the church has been filled with hurt people who just hurt other people. Someone once said this, what would happen if the prodigal son had come home a different route and had first met the older brother? He would never have made it to the father. He would have never made it home to the father because the older brother would have sent him running. How many prodigal sons come try to come back to the father, but they meet the older brother in the church? They never make it home. Hurt people, hurt people. Free people, free people. And so uh, that's where we want to uh, dig into today. And, and right at the center of this freedom is, is emotional wholeness. This is what Proverbs 4. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. That heart, in the, in the biblical sense, is the seat of the emotions. Guard your heart. I, I, I've never been taught how. And that's what I want us to look to today. Few few barriers first to an, a damaged emotional life. First is this, Josh, Deuteronomy 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So if you've got a damaged emotional life, it will give you a barrier to connecting with God. Because the first commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart. Well, if your heart is damaged, you won't be able to love him with all your heart. There'll be Everyone else will be singing the songs and worshiping tears falling down, and you'll be just like, it's just like a song to me. You'll be walking through the, the beauty of nature, and you'll just think, oh, this is nice. There'll be something that's not connecting on the inside. It's not that everyone has to have tears in worship or get glory when they see the the ocean. But if you don't get it anywhere, it's a symptom that something's not quite connected. Because we should be forever overwhelmed with God and his beauty. Look at the angels who stand before him. Holy, holy, holy. They're not like passive. Holy, holy, holy. They're not overwhelmed with emotion. 
So if, we're, if our hearts are damaged, then we will have a barrier. And this, these are all my story. We'll have a, a barrier to, to uh, our own kind of uh, connections on the inside. That One of the other scriptures says, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and someone once said to me, love your neighbor as yourself. If you don't love yourself, God help your neighbor. If you don't love yourself, God help your neighbor. Because so many people don't, haven't understood how to love themselves. So there's huge barriers in there. Barriers to, to physical healing. Proverbs 17 says, A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. The number of people that I've seen physically healed as God's done something in their hearts. And the physical healing just comes. Because God did some healing in their heart. And we, nobody really knows even how this stuff works, apart from the fact that it does. That we are not two-dimensional people, that we are three-dimensional. We've got different elements to us. Barriers to intimacy with others. You know, so many, as I've chatted to about this subject, men and women say, I just feel dead on the inside. Some of you will be connecting with that right now. I just feel like I'm going through life a bit dead on the inside. And it causes us a a barrier to the connection with others. I remember a good friend of mine, they had a a meeting where they decided to pray for, for the elders. They had the elders at the front, and they were going to pray for them as a church. And this big kind of burly builder comes down the front, and he puts his hand on one of the elders' shoulders and says, Lord, give the elders joy, the kind of joy that reaches their faces. <laughs> but this is the danger, isn't it? The danger is that we get this view of leadership, that the more lead- leadership that we get, the heavier the weight becomes. And we end up creating environments where to be a leader means to be completely, you were so weighed down emotionally that you can be completely passive, completely you know, unmoved. Well, that replicates in the church. Because that's what people see as maturity. That's what people see as leadership. Give the elders joy, the kind of joy that reaches their faces. Shouldn't the church be the most joyful place on the planet? And therefore, shouldn't its leaders be the most joyful people? It's a challenge for all of us if we're in any form of, of leadership. Barriers to deliverance. You know, I remember um, praying for a guy who, who uh, just had so battling to get free. So battling to, to, to get free and just he knew that there was something spiritual going on. And then one day in a meeting, joy just hit him and immediately he got deliverance. Wow. But it was through the barrier of, of the emotional pain and, and many other things. Barriers to the power of God. Notice in this story we read, Jesus is moved with the compassion and that's when the, the healing flows. And you see that, I think, four or five times in the gospel where it says Jesus was moved with compassion. Well, why is this key to the supernatural life? Well, because God, the Holy Spirit, moves on the back of compassion. And if we feel nothing when we meet a sick person or a broken person or a hurting person, if we're just like, oh, well, that's sad for them, it's a barrier to God moving through us. We, we were talking, Helen and I were talking about my wife, Caroline, who just cries all the time. And she cries all the time. But what happens is God moves when she cries. She, people connect with her. Yeah. And it opens up the prophetic. It opens up stuff. And if we're emotionally damaged, we won't have those experiences. Now, I'm not saying everyone's going to have the same emotional range as, as Caroline. Thank the Lord. She has a huge emotional range. None of us could cope with it. I don't know how she copes with it. So I'm not saying there's this one cookie cutter. We, we'll all have different emotional ranges. Men will have different ranges to women. You know, I, I'm not, so I'm not trying to draw this kind of blanket expression. It will look different for all of us. The question for me is, do you see any symptoms of the damaged emotional life in your own, in your own life? Turn to your neighbor and say, I don't see any symptoms. I hope you're getting something out of this. I don't think it's uh, relevant. <laughs> no, one, no one's saying that honestly, I notice. Okay, let's look at this. 
What I want to do is then look at a biblical understanding of emotions. I want to look at, at why we have trouble handling our emotions and then an appropriate expression of emotions. Okay, so we'll, we'll do this quickly. Firstly, this God, biblical understanding. Firstly, that God is an emotional being and we are created in his image. It's critical to understand that. You know, when I, I pray with people and ask them to give me a picture of God, but I'd, have a, I'd be fat and happy you could roll me to church if I had a donut for every time someone had said to me, oh, it's, he's, he's distant, he's, 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 uh, un, he's unconnected, he's not around, that kind of feeling. Particularly if you're not a believer here this morning, you're not a Christian, I imagine that's something along the lines of how you see the God that you don't believe in. Because <laughs> that's how I saw him when I was not a follower of Jesus. Uh, and yet, what you see in this uh, and the scriptures is very different. God gets angry, Romans 2, 7. There will be wrath and anger, it says, in the coming days. And, and the church has had this horribly unbalanced view of an angry God, and yet the danger is in our day that we see that it's reversed, that now this kind of, this kind of, the God that we see is never is allowed to express any anger. And the biblical picture is that God does genuinely have anger. And, and some people say, well, that's an Old Testament view of God. No, no, no. Look at Jesus. He expresses anger regularly. Look at Revelation. You know, he's writing to the church. He lambasts some of those churches. He, like, hammers some of those churches. And, you know, you, you know some of the, you, you'd have to read what he says to Laodicea. You're neither hot nor cold, you naughties. I like warm, but you've been real scamps. You might have to take that cheeky little candlestick away if you don't behave yourselves. That's how you've got to read it if you don't think that Jesus is allowed to have anger. You naughty, naughty Laodiceans. Naughty. You know, you'd have to read it like that. That's not how it reads. I'm going to take your candlestick away. It means angry. We're so afraid of anger that we think it breaks relationship. No, anger is sometimes the thing that restores relationship. It shows us that that something's wrong. You know, I remember... I was reading Psalm 139. I did at Psalm 139. I did it twice. Once at church and once in a group in the, in the same week. And both times I was obviously tired because I'd forgotten what happened the first time when I did it the second time because both times I'm reading it and for this kind of beautiful moment in worship. Oh Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. On and on and on. It's these beautiful things. And then there's two verses close to the end where it's, oh, that you would slay the wicked, oh God, oh men of blood, depart from me. And I'd forgotten it. So what I thought was, oh, I can't read this. It's going to kind of ruin the moment. So I jumped to the end, which is, search me, oh Lord, and know my heart and try me and know my thoughts. And you know, so... I, I skipped them out, and I did it twice in the same week, forgetting that I'd already done it once. I don't know what I was thinking. Anyway, after the second time, the Lord really spoke to me. He says, Simon, you think you're more mature than I am. Don't ever edit my word again. It was a real rebuke. It was a real rebuke. Don't ever edit my word again. Now, sometimes I do paraphrase the scriptures, but not with that heart of God, this shouldn't be in here, let's just chop this bit out. This should... But so many people are doing that with their Bibles, so they want to eradicate this, any sense that God could be angry, and they will stunt themselves emotionally if they change the picture of God. Yes, the church has a horrible view of an only angry God. He's not only angry. In fact, the scripture doesn't say he is anger, it says he is love. But it also says he has anger, and we have to be clear about that. God has compassion, Psalm 103. The Father has compassion for his children. The Lord has compassion for those who fear him. God can be grieved, Ephesians 4. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. God rejoices, Isaiah 66. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. What we've got to understand is that God expresses the full range of emotions, and Jesus, who said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, does exactly the same. Break this picture in your mind that the maturity equals to be completely impassive, to go through life neutral. No, no, no. Jesus has anger. He has compassion. 
he, he, he weeps, he laughs, he has the whole range. We are made in his image, not he in ours. And the scriptures are quite clear about that. No, that my, my favourite um, arcade game in the arcades when I used to be a kid was the, the gopher game. You, have you played it where the gophers yeah. stick their heads up and you get the hammer and whack it down? And that's how most Christians, I think, have seen emotions. Anything pops up, <laughs> hit that thing. Yeah. I used to play it and the kids would be like, can we have a turn? No, 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 in a minute. You know? <laughs> so I love that game. We love it, don't we? Emotion comes up, whack that thing down, whack that thing down. And I would want to say to you guys, this is a particularly a men thing. So often men think, or emotions, emotions are, are for the women. <laughs> so often women who are in the context of men think, oh, I better shut my emotions down because I, I, I need to be able to connect with the guys. I need the guys to be able to respect me. It's all wrong. We've got to change this thinking. Radically change this thinking. The thing to understand is that emotions are, are neither right nor wrong. Only actions are judged that way. And this is a really important point. Love. Take love, for example. Well, love, surely that's Right. Well, this is what the scripture said. Beloved, let's love one another, for love is from God. Well, there you go. Love must be right. But the Bible also says that love is wrong. It says this, do not love the world, for if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do you understand? Love in itself is neutral. What makes it right or wrong is what you love. <laughs> what about fear? Well, surely fear is a negative thing. Fear is a negative emotion. The Bible says he came to free those who were their very lives, for their whole lives were held in slavery by their fear. Oh, there you go. Fear is a negative emotion. But it also says the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. What's the point? Fear is neutral. It's what you fear that makes it positive or negative. It's the same with anger and all these other things. Clear up a couple of confusions about anger. You know, sometimes people confuse anger with hostility and hate. Hostility and hate are negative, and you see that in the scriptures. They are they are undealt with anger that's cemented into a hostile, negative attitude that wants bad for a person. But anger is just how you feel about something. Anger is actually a gift from God. It's a it's a gift that that shows us something's wrong. It, it moves us to action in some way. It's recognizing this is so important for us because the danger is otherwise we just try and shut these things down. Uh, probably the biggest misunderstanding is that many think the Bible teaches us not to be angry. Colossians 3 says this, you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Ephesians 4, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. So people think, well, there you go, Simon, you're wrong on this. You shouldn't be angry. But notice what it says. It says, get rid of anger. Get rid of anger. What does it mean? Deal with it. It's exactly what the proverb says. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. (laughs) Anger is such a powerful emotion that if you just let it fester there, it will damage you or somebody else. But it's not saying don't be angry because elsewhere the scripture says, in your anger, do not sin. So it clearly shows there's a difference between being angry and sinning. It shows there's a real temptation when you're angry to sin. But it says in your anger, it's expecting that you're going to be angry. But so many of us never allow ourselves to be angry because we've got this view of this God and maturity that, oh, no, 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 if I'm angry, there must be something. I must be immature in some way. I've got to repent of that. No, no, no. You've got to work out how you deal with your anger 
You've got to work out how you process it. But to live a life where you are never angry, what will happen? You'll just shove it back down inside. And that's what I want us to look at. Why do we have trouble handling our emotions? Biblical view is that we all have emotions. God has them. We have them. We're made in his image. Why do we have trouble? Well, very often we've learned to live by someone else's feelings. Good friend of mine, her mother was both bipolar. So her upbringing was, how's mum doing? Mum's having a good day. It's going to be a good day. Mum's having a bad day. It's going to be a terrible day. And what happened to her? So her life was, whatever you do, don't rock the boat. Because if mum's having a good day, you don't want to rock it into a bad day. And if mum's having a bad day, you don't want to make it any worse. So her journey of freedom is coming to learn, my emotions are my emotions. And I've got emotions no matter what's going on around me. And if you've been brought up in an unstable environment like that, an explosive parent or a a manically depressed parent or something like that, you will tend to find that your emotions, you'll either be copying them, so you'll either be like them, or you'll be be completely, because you're so afraid that you're going to send things off and it's learning that that we've got to we, we've got to walk out of that sometimes it's that families have exp- who've repressed emotions i remember praying with a guy and his after hearing me speak on this he wanted to pray so we were there and as we're talking and he told me about his military his father was in the military was brought up and uh, as we're there he starts to get emotional and i thought great this is i thought this is going to be all night we're here we're just like half an hour in it's brilliant this guy told me he just told me he'd never cried in 30 years and here he is he's about to cry well he, as he's starting to get emotional he's like oh I, actually i've just got to go so he walks out i'm like well, he says i've got to go to the bathroom he walks out he doesn't come back for 30 minutes I'm like, where's he gone anyway i go and find him and he comes back and we, we i said where'd you go he said well i had to go to the bathroom i had to go make a make a call make a call i said no you didn't I said, you were about to feel some emotion and you didn't want to. Why? We were here so that you could connect with your emotions. Why did you walk out? And out of his mouth, I tell you, it was the weirdest thing because this is a kind of gruff, uh, kind of ex-military guy. He said this, big boys don't cry. And it was like the voice of a five-year-old. I said, where do you hear that? Where do you hear that? And he said, that's what my dad said. Five years old, he'd been hammered in, big boys don't cry. And it was the weirdest thing because he, up until that point, he was speaking with the voice of an adult. And then he's like, big boys don't cry. It was like a little boy saying it to me. Why? Because the damage was done all those years ago. He'd got this view of emotions that was repressing his life, ruining his marriage. His wife couldn't connect to him. He, He knew he had a problem. Yet even at the moment of breakthrough, he's hardly able to handle what's going on. So we've been taught that some emotions are good or bad, or we've experienced kind of chronic shock. You know, like in the old days, accident investigators used to work out how fast a car was going because the speedo would get stuck. It doesn't happen the same way now, but the speedo would get stuck at the speed of the, that the car was going. Well, that's often what happens with emotions. A friend of mine, who she, she was just stuck in grief. Stuck in, she couldn't get out of grief. Why? Because she'd had this huge grief situation that happened. And whatever happened just tipped her into grief. No matter whether, she, she could barely crawl herself out of grief the whole time because of of this. Uh, Some methods that we use to stay out of touch in our emotions. Some methods will be these, intellectualizing. We just keep conversation on a neutral level. Intellectual, you know, you you start to feel something and you immediately immediately switch to data. Ah, you know, you see this in groups of guys all the time. They're just about to get somewhere in kind of connection and then it's like, well, have you seen the game at the weekend? (laughs) Someone will switch it out. Because they're afraid of emotion or they think emotion's for women or something like that. So intellectualizing is a key way where we start to just think about data, start to think about things that that take us out of emotion. Or minimizing, downplaying our emotions. 
You know, I, my dad used to tell me I was stupid, but at least he didn't hurt me. You know, we minimize. Well, no, 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 he might not have hurt you, but telling you that you were stupid, that's not, you know, not healthy. <laughs> so we minimize. That's another way. Or we're in denial. We deny that we've got emotions. We deny that they're there. We're just, oh, no, yeah, I'm, I just don't, I'm not, not emotional. So many people have said to me, I'm just not an emotional person. Really? I don't think that's true. <laughs> But if you believe that you're not an emotional person, then you'll act like a non-emotional person. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's something that has to be changed. Or, or isolating. You're in a group and you start to feel emotion and you just picture yourself somewhere else. You take yourself to a happy place because you don't want to experience that emotion. Or swallowing. We just swallow those emotions down. Or numbers of other, other ways. And then particularly, we are, we are skilled when it comes to anger. You know, I heard a, a, a story of a lady. She bought a dog from a dog breeder. And when she bought this dog from a dog breeder, she, it died after like a few months. So she took it back to the dog breeder. It's a true story. Took it back to the dog breeder and said, my dog, dog's died. She's at his house. My dog's died. I want a new dog. He's like, no, you've had it for three months. You're not having a new dog. Sorry. She said, I'm having a new dog. He's like, you are not having a new dog. She like, tries to barge her way through the door. He's like, you are not having a new dog. You've, I don't know. You could have done anything in the last few months. You're not having a new dog. She's like, I am having a new dog. And she tries to get in through the door. And uh, in the end, he managed to, to get her out. The story goes, she drove off down the street, waving her dead dog out of the sunroof of the car in rage. I hope this wasn't any of you. No, it was in America. <laughs> There's an exploder at work. Exploders are the type of people, they never have any emotion in terms of, never express anger until suddenly, boom, it just blows. And you know what? If you're an exploder, you feel so much better. You're like, whew, that feels great. Awesome. Got that out finally. The problem is everyone around you takes a step back. And I've been around, chatted to lots of people who either exploders themselves, who now feel very isolated and don't know why, or whose parents were exploders, and there's just a lack of connection there with, with that, that relationship. This lady with a dead dog, exploders do that. They end up waving the dead dog out the sunroof, and, uh, and that's how they act. Or there's the self-punishers. Self-punishers, if you're a self-punisher, you end up hitting yourself over the head with a dead dog. You know, whatever happens, it ends up your fault. I was chatting with someone recently, and, uh, a few years ago, sorry, and they were saying, what, what's, what's uh, the situation? They described the situation. And as they described it to me, I said, well, what are you going to do about it? She said, well, it's probably my fault. I'm like, it was not your fault. I mean, it was not your fault. You got it. But self-punishers, you'll find yourself, it'll always come back to you. It'll always be your fault. Or somatizers, the Greek soma means body. So somatizers, this is an unpleasant image, but they eat the dead dog. They push the dead emotions on the inside. So they they push it into their body. The soma means body. And so if you're a somatizer, when you're, you're feeling emotion, whilst you get back from work, what do you do? Open the fridge. Or, oh, I'm gasping for a cigarette. Or even worse, drugs. You punish yourself or self-harm. You punish your body when you feel emotion to try and deaden the pain of the emotion. Or, or the underhanders. The underhanders are the passive aggressives. They, they get revenge, but you never know that you'll get, they're getting it. Most... Most teenagers go through a season of passive-aggressive underhander. You know, that, you know, 
I, I, when I was a teenager, I would clean my room, but man alive, you can clean your room slow. Yeah. Man alive, you can do the washing up so slow. It is like, you know, like snail pace slow. Well, it's passive aggressive, isn't it? I don't, I'm angry. I don't want to do the washing up. So I'm just going to do it as slowly as I possibly can. And I'm going to make as much mess as I possibly can. And I'm going to get grumpy if anyone comes near the sink for like two days because I'm, listen, I, I, we've all done it. You know, when we're, when we're teenagers, that's what you do because you don't want to confront the authority. You don't want to show you, you don't know how to express your anger. And so you just go passive aggressive. You know, if you walk away from a situation having had a good laugh and then suddenly thinking, I think that joke was on me. You've just met a passive aggressive. <laughs> so many people in their workplace, they'll make snide jokes about their bosses behind their backs or about their co-workers. Why? Because they don't know how to deal with their emotions, don't know how to deal with it healthily. They, so they go passive aggressive. How then do we appropriately express emotion? Actually, just, just turn to your neighbor and just say, I don't use any of those techniques, so I'm, I'm hoping you're getting something out of this. I think there's another slide up that's actually up there. If you pop that up, it's got the others. How how do you take a moment just to reflect? How do you? What ungodly ways do you use to handle your emotions? Just, if you keep going on the slides, there's a whole section on the anger ones as well. How? Which? Take a look at those. Which ones do you use? Turn to your neighbour. Just have a little chat. Do you use any of them or none of them? Anyone got bingo? You can just keep flicking forward on the slides. There's a few more. Anyone get bingo? You use them all? You like got a whole, whole flotilla of uh, ideas? It's interesting, isn't it, to think about the ungodly ways that we can use our emotions and handle our emotions. Anyone want to be honest with their neighbour? No, not really. <laughs> Let's take... Let's, let's just as we, just as we land then, I just want us to look, how do we then appropriately express emotion? I'm hoping that your paradigm has changed, has shifted in some way about emotions, but how, what do we do? How do we handle this thing? It's incredibly powerful gifts. How do we stop them driving the car and yet not put them in the boot? How do we have emotions appropriately in our lives? Well, let's just read that passage again. Uh, uh, the life of Jesus, from the life of Jesus, and we'll see uh, an incredibly powerful model. Another time he went to the synagogues, a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he'd heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath? Deeply distressed at their stubborn heart, said to the man, stretch out the hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was completely restored. A few things I think we can get from that, that passage about emotions, we'll, we'll land with this. Firstly, is this, you've got to let yourself feel the emotion. Notice Jesus feels a whole range of emotions just in this whole sto- little story. Anger, distress, and compassion for the man. Uh, m- more often than not, I, I, I notice he puts the, it, the expression of it is, is appropriate, but firstly, it starts with him feeling it. He allows himself to feel this emotion. And it must have been evident for the disciples because they wrote it down. <laughs> The, the, the witness of, of Mark, who is telling Peter's story, is Peter's close enough to see this range of emotions in, in Jesus. 
He sees it and witnesses it because Jesus was in touch with it. So, so the first thing to do is, is stop strangling your emotions and let yourself feel them. Let, stop being afraid that you're going to make some mistake in your expression of them. First, before you can learn, it's like riding a bike, isn't it? Before you can learn to ride the bike, you've got to get on the bike. So some of you have got to give yourself permission to get on the emotional bike. Before, and you're worried. I know, but last time I allowed myself to be angry, you know, all sorts of, you know, or last time I uh, cried in front of someone, all sorts of, no, well, you, okay, you might not have done it appropriately last time, but first of all, you, you, the, the answer is not to shut all the emotions down, which is what you've been doing. The, the answer is to say, okay, I've got to get on this bike and learn again. That's what I had to do. I had to learn again, how do I express anger and recognize I'm not going to do it perfectly every time, but I'm slowly by slowly being made into the image of Christ. So the first thing is to allow yourself to feel the emotions. And one of the, thing is, one of the things that I found helpful is to do a daily review at the end of every day. Look through your day and think, how did I feel today? If you, if you feel like this is relevant for you, I'd encourage you every day, how do I feel? And many of you will be like, I don't know how I felt today. I, felt, I know I felt like two weeks ago. That's how I was. I could tell you how I felt a month ago, but I've got no idea how I felt today. Well, that's a symptom. If that's how, you, that's how it's going, there's a symptom. There's some damage there. Or you realize, actually, I was completely out of control. I did feel sad when that happened, but I completely lost the plot for the whole day, and I just was bawling my eyes out, and it was only really a little thing. Well, again, you're the other way. <laughs> you're the other way. So reviewing how did you feel in the day is absolutely critical to coming to emotional wholeness. Learning to express it if you're, uh, if you're married or with your friends. Learning to express it to say, I feel really angry right now. You know, some of you, that would be a huge step to actually say that. I feel angry right now. And everyone's like, <laughs> it's okay for us to express anger to one another. Isn't that what we've seen from the scriptures? It's okay to express anger. I feel really angry for right now. It's a really, I mean, that's massively helped Caroline and I as I, 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 as I was able to say, I feel angry. What you've just done makes me feel angry. And she'd come from a background where anger was way over the top. There's explosions all over the place. There's holes in the door where her brother tried to punch her and she had to get out of the way. So her expression of family life was anger completely out of control. Mine was never express it, otherwise it's a sign of maturity. We had to meet somewhere in the middle. And so it's recognizing that as a learning to feel it is critical. Jesus did that. Uh, the, the second thing is this, recognizing it to yourself and God. And Jesus recognized he was angry. And it says he looked around in the group. I don't wonder what he was doing in that moment where he was looking around at the group. I, I reckon he was bringing it to his father. I reckon he was saying, okay, father, I'm feeling this. I'm feeling distress. I'm feeling compassion. I'm feeling... I reckon there was a communication going on there. I'm reading that into the text, but I, Jesus said, I only do what I see the father doing. So I imagine there was some communion going on. So learning to express your emotions to God. Look at the Psalms. I mean, they're just full of emotion. Some of our greatest songs of the future will be written as people get connected with what God's doing because he moves through our emotions. So learning to journal, learning to go for a walk. You know, some of you, you've never expressed anger. I'd encourage you, get out in the woods and just get it out. <laughs> just shout and scream and, you know, pray there's not too many dog walkers around. <laughs> but find a safe place to get it out because the life of getting it in is just going to break your heart. So learning to get it out, maybe it's journaling, maybe it's writing a song, maybe it's saying to a friend, I just need to sit with you, you to sit with me for a minute while I just express this. It's going to be unfiltered, it might be ugly, I may even swear, but I need to just learn to get this out. Because that's again, the journey. again, we're so worried about expressing it totally appropriately, 
that we don't allow the heart to speak. Learning to write your own psalm, we found so, so powerful. Write your own psalm and just get it out there. The psalmist, I mean, have you read the psalms? Sometimes I look up and think, Holy Spirit, who was editing this thing? Did you have a day off? This is like, this is like, what on earth are you letting him write this stuff? Because he's, God is not afraid of our emotions. He created us. He knows they're flawed. He knows they're fallen. But he also knows we're on a journey to be transformed into the image of Jesus. And then exercising self-control. Notice Jesus exercises massive self-control. I'm sure he wanted to just kind of go in and lay out these guys. I mean, who wouldn't? So hard, so callous. Our problem is if we haven't learned to, we end up doing, being angry at people that we should be feeling compassion for and showing compassion because we're too afraid to express our anger. Anyone done that? You get mad at work and you come back and take it out on the kids or at your friends. And you're like realizing, whoa, I'm, I'm experiencing emotion here, but it's all going on the wrong. It's like spraying everywhere. It's like hitting the wrong. Is it just me or does anyone, anyone else do that? So that's part of the journey is re- reviewing that at the end of the day, realizing I had emotion and I felt it, but it all went to the wrong people. When I should have felt compassion, I was angry. And when I should have felt anger, I, 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 showed, I did nothing because I was afraid of expressing it. Learning to take, go on that journey, learning to repent of that action and walk it through is so, so important. And then lastly, expressing it as the Holy Spirit directs. In this instant, Jesus knew that there were the way to express his anger and he expressed it appropriately. He rebuked them, it says. And yet in the same moment, he's able to express compassion and heal the man. And the power of God's able to flow. What is it for you? I believe God's calling this place to be a center of healing, of setting people free. How are you going to do that? How are you going to set people free in their emotions? Let's take a minute to pray, shall we? Why don't you just, don't you just take a moment where you're sitting. Come, Lord Jesus. If, you, if you've connected with anything this morning, you feel like, you know what, I want to repent for having an ungodly view of either emotions or how I express emotions, why don't you just stand to your feet? We're going to take a moment to just repent together and ask God to come and transform us. Thank you, Father. If you felt, yeah, I, I, wanna, I wanna change on this one. Come, Holy Spirit. If you want to say to God, Lord, if there's any joy, any more joy this side of heaven, I want it. Say that to him. Say that to him. Because in his presence, there is fullness of joy. There is life evermore. The church should be the happiest place on earth. But it comes from a people who've understood and walked in emotional health. Lord, we just, just, just say after me, Father, I repent from living with a damaged emotional life. I ask for your healing. I ask for your freedom. I want to change my thinking today. Come, Lord Jesus. Let me learn to follow you. To live whole. To free others as you have freed me. In Jesus' name. As you confess us your sins, as I confess mine, he is faithful and just to forgive us and wash us. And I just pray, come, Spirit of God, right now. Wash by your Spirit, each one. Cleanse and transform thinking to enable a new way of living and thinking in Jesus' name.
overcome spirit of God. There's some, some of you, there's people you need to forgive in your family. Just picture that person in front of you. And just speak forgiveness over them. Forgiveness means to cut. Just picture a cord between you and them and cut that cord and say, you know what? I, 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 you've given me a lot of good in my life, but this was not good and I'm, I'm, I need to follow Jesus now. Come, Spirit of God. Some of you need to just take a moment to express the anger you feel over how you were treated. Come, Lord Jesus. Just speak freedom. Some of you have just been shut down for so many years, decades, and you realize it's time to repent of living under that and it's time to open the door. The prison door is opening this morning. There is a new way. Big boys do cry. There's women here. You just suppress your emotions. You say, I've got to fit into a man's world. You just want to break that. <laughs> the church needs your emotion. You, women generally feel more emotion than men, and it needs to be released. You need to be able to express that joy and that and the, and the uh, delight that you feel so much, often very much easier than men. <laughs> that's how he, that's how he's made you. You need to express the tears of compassion. It says women get free. Often the men can get free as well. <laughs> Come, Holy Spirit, right now. We just say, release us into a place of freedom, unlike with anything we've known before. Come, God, I pray, release those who are called to worship, to express the full breadth of emotion. Release those who are called to show compassion, to be able to weep with those who weep. Come, Spirit of God. We just thank you, Father. We just say, let your joy break out. Just, just receive for a minute. Let's just, just let, his, let his love and his overwhelming grace fall on you. The joy of his presence. Thank you, God. Come, Spirit of God. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Why don't we just all stand together wherever we are? Let's just open our hands to the Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, more. More. Thank you, God. More. More. We just speak. Come, Holy Spirit. Just baptize this church in your freedom and your life. Let them be carriers of your healing physically, emotionally, spiritually. Let this be a well that drinks deeply from the life of God. Just ask it in Jesus' name. Let the oil of your spirit just flow powerfully.